Beloved, please turn in the Word of God this morning to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Verse 97, the section mem. As, I've, as you know, those of you regularly here, we're still in a series in Hebrews in the morning and look in the evening. We've been deviated from that for a little while, and I've been memorizing the, the Sunday school passage, the Sabbath school passage for this year, and just really been blessed in trying to commit it to memory. I realize my, my mind is weakening as the years go on, but um, trying to... Of course, there are lots of tools to help you these days. Don't, don't miss out on the tools. As I say, we have these things called smartphones, and we don't use them very smartly. And uh, one of the ways we can use it more uh, smartly is even in Scripture memorization. And there are... Uh, there, there, I've been using uh, an app called Bible.is, because I can set a playlist and I can have the guy just read the section, whatever section, read it over and over again, and uh, just help sort of get familiarity. And then there's another one. There are two memory apps that you can use to help you actually memorize Scripture as well. And they give little helps when you're just trying to do it at the start, and then they take away those helps more and more. And uh, before you know it, you are getting at least somewhat an idea, if not perfectly, uh, committing the passage to memory. So I say that for your encouragement, and if you haven't begun to read or rather memorize the section, uh, I encourage you to pick that up at the start of the year and commit this. And hopefully the sermon this morning will be a help. Now, I had planned to deal with the other section because we're memorizing that too. Uh, tonight, I'm going to push that to next Lord's Day because tonight I want to preach on a subject of uh, how can you know if you're called to preach? I'm not sure if that's exactly the title I'll give to it, but that's, that's the sense of it, because I was writing the article for the current magazine on Friday and then finishing up yesterday. I, I really was gripped by it. It was really helpful for me, and I know that many of you know, I know I'm not called to preach, but there may be some of you and it may prove helpful. And there are things I wanted to add that I couldn't squeeze into 1,500 words. So uh, we will we'll have a, a little more built upon uh, than what will end up in the article. So that's for tonight. And I uh, invite you to come and be with us this evening as well. Let us read the Word of God. Psalm 119 from verse 97. We'll look at this section with the Lord's help. Verse 97 through 104. Oh, how love I thy law. Just stop there. Some of you may have it reading, Oh, how I love thy law. I'm not sure why some publishers switch it, but I'm not going to complain if you're memorizing, Oh, how I love thy law, or Oh, how I love I thy law. Uh, don't worry. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. 
I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to consider thy word. Grant that we may really have it take hold in our hearts and change our lives. Come to us today in the power of the Spirit. Spirit, what, take what is thine. Since we belong to the living God, put it in what is thine. Put it in us. We submit ourselves to the authority of thy word. Help us and advance thy kingdom in our hearts and beyond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those who have maybe studied something of Psalm 119, you may be aware that there is debate around the, the, the writer who actually penned Psalm 119. For many of the Psalms, that is not up for dispute, regardless of what liberal scholars say. It says plainly, a Psalm of David, or in the case of Psalm 90, a Psalm of Moses, and a few others where we have indication of a different writer. When it comes to Psalm 119, we haven't such explicit uh, reference to that. We're not told that this is a psalm of anyone. We don't know. And so when you begin to study a little more deeply, you have different ideas. It, is it David? Could well be. Or is it someone else? Reading over this, I'm inclined to think, I can't be dogmatic. I don't intend to be dogmatic. But it would appear to me that there's certainly an argument for those that, that present a case for it being someone familiar with the exile period, either going into it or being in it or coming out of it. This experience, because there's, there's no reference, these, these are some of the internal arguments, there's no reference to the tabernacle, no reference to the temple, no references to sacrifices. In fact, my observation is only touching close to anything referring to sacrifices, verse 108, except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, and that's as close as you get it's from, from my reading. I may have missed something, but my reading, that's as close as you get to any form of kind of offering up of a sacrifice. And you can see that it's not anything to do with animals. It's the free will offerings of our mouth. The sections that you have as well reflect a desire to put in some form before those who read the Hebrew alphabet. And I'd never thought about this before, but that, that in itself may give indication as to, again, the context, because if there was anyone who would be burdened that a people would, would lose touch with their linguistic roots, with the language of, of them as a people and a culture, it would be those in exile. They're constantly hearing this strange tongue and strange speech, and to advance and progress, you need to adopt, you need to be familiar with that language. And so it may rightly be that those in that period, whether Daniel, some have argued for Daniel, some have said maybe Ezra, Nehemiah, that seems to come a little later. It could be. But, but maybe, maybe it was someone like Daniel or someone uh, with Daniel around that time who realizes we are in great danger of losing what we have as a people 
and becoming assimilated into this new culture, why not then, though we have no tabernacle to worship, we have no temple to worship, we have no offerings to offer, why not put emphasis on the one thing we still have, the Word of God, and then divide it into sections that teaches the very alphabet of our language, the language in which the Word of God is written. Can't be dogmatic, but those are some of the thoughts that come to me that certainly push me in the direction of thinking Daniel or someone like Daniel may have been the penman of this psalm. We'll see some things in our passage too that may, may also shed light on that as well. But whatever the case, you have in this section Psalm 119 verse 97 through to the end of this mem section here, you have this emphasis upon, the whole psalm's on the Word, but you have it in a way that I find, I have found certainly an emphasis on the transforming influence of the Word. Now that's throughout the psalm, don't get me wrong. But I hope we will see as we go through this morning just something of what is here before us. And before I say anything else, to see that this can only be fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have here a trust. You have a living out that could only be truly said of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Constantly the word is in him. These commandments... They are ever with me, verse 98. Testimonies are my meditation, and so on and so forth. There's language that certainly finds its perfect fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see one who is entirely committed. You see him going to face the enemy, being led of the Spirit of God into the place of temptation 40 days. And what is his weapon? What is his defense? What is it keeps him going along? Word of God. I've titled the message this morning, Does Scripture Transform Your Life? Does Scripture Transform Your Life? Beloved, you can know Scripture and it doesn't transform you. The Pharisees knew Scripture, but it did not have a transforming influence. It had an effect, like it, it shaped something of their outward living. but they were like whited sepulchers. It had not taken root in the soul. It wasn't producing purity in the inward man. It did not make them to have a real conscious awareness of, of the reality of hypocrisy. When the psalmist speaks here of every evil way, he is fearing that even anything within, not just in practice, but how he thinks, these things are important to him. This is because he has been regenerate. He has been made alive. He has been quickened. This comes out in the psalm as well at other places. So trying to give some division here uh, to this section and this idea of the Scripture transform your life, asking that question, if you want Scripture to transform your life, there are some lessons here. First of all, gain a warmth for it. Gain a warmth for Scripture. By warmth, I'm referred to affection, how you feel towards it. Look at verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. Oh, how love I thy law. Do you feel the warmth? Do you? 
Do you sense it in the verbiage? Do you sense a man who has been overcome with not just his knowledge of God's word, but in expressing his knowledge of it, is, comes through this feeling of, of affection, of warmth, of, warmth of, of feeling. Part of our issue is we have a proliferation of, of Bibles. It's so easily accessed. You read of times in church history, you, you, you read of what giving the Bible to the German people did when Luther sat down and translated and how the people became just enraptured with access to the Scripture and their discussion is not about who's going to win the Super Bowl or, you know, what other sports. I'm sure there are people, I'm sure there are sports. I'm sure there are all things going on. But there was this ripple of a general interest and desire to talk about the Word. It was gripping them and influencing them. And the same happened in other nations as well. When Tyndale does the same and gives to the people the Word of God, makes it accessible to them, gives them even a desire to be literate. Here we are, taught to read, but we barely spend any time reading Scripture. These people, many of which were not taught to read, decided I must learn to read so I can read it for myself. We've lost it. It's just anywhere you have, you have shelves where you have a stack of Bible. I got that one when I was a child. Got that one for award for, for Sunday school. I got that one, but, but, you know, maybe I didn't like the print or whatever, and I got another one, you know, that I, I liked it because it had better references or, or whatever. I got, I got a study Bible. I've got various study Bibles. I have this one. I have that one. This is my favorite one. <laughs> Sometimes I refer to the very... We have all of this to say nothing of what we have and what I've already referred to in our, on our phones, what, what access we have there. And yet, what do we find us doing? Scrolling mindlessly through garbage, listening to podcasts of the words of men for hours on end with little thought, little real meditation, little real consideration of God's holy word. And beloved, if there's one thing has hit me in looking at this passage, all I could see was as if God had opened up the heavens and said to man, I'm going to give you a gift, a gift. It's going to tell you what you need to know. It's going to reveal me to you. And whether you go through periods where there are visions, prophetic insight, whether you experience that or not, which is a vast bulk of human history, we have not had that. Most of human history, we don't have special things, special revelation. But God does this. He opens up the heaven and he gives this, this gift. So here, here's a gift from me. A gift. A gift. What do we do? Answer it for yourself. What do you do? With a gift. This psalmist, he wants when people read what he has to say about it for them to see not just like information. He's not just a theologian saying, here's information about 
about the Bible, about God's law, about his commandments, about his precepts and judgments and so on. He's not, that's not all he wants to do. He wants you to read it and see, wow, look. Look at how he feels about it. Oh, I love I thy law. I love it. I love it. You feel it? You feel it? What might he say to the way you or I at times handle this gift? What might he say? What might be his observation of our affection? Now, love, love is of degrees, isn't it? Isn't it? Love is of degrees. You don't have in us any expression of love that is this perfect. It, it, it ebbs, it flows. It, it may grow over time. It may diminish over time. Love, love is, is a concept of degrees in us. And what happens then when you are converted, when you're saved, is that what the Spirit of God does in you is create a love for God's Word. There has never been a Christian, a true, born-again Christian. Never has there been a true, spirit-birth believer who has not had some love for God's Word. This statement, Oh, how I love thy law, you need to be able to say this. I love it. Now again, it's degrees. It's degrees. So how you feel or how you view Scripture today will change over time. And I hope, I hope it grows. I hope it, I hope it improves. But there has to be some kind of love for the Word. And a way to measure then that love, one of the ways at least is what you do with it. What does, what does he do with it? It is my meditation all the day. What would you say about a couple who start talking of, you know, about one another and they, <clears throat> they, they feel, I can't, I can't bear to be away from their presence. Oh, it's going to be so difficult to, to be away from one another. You know, when they start talking that way, you know there's, there's affection, there's warmth, isn't there? You know that. The psalmist doesn't want to be away from God's Word. So he, this follows on, I, I, I won't say much at this point, but he goes on and says, the end of verse 48, they are ever with me, these commandments. They are ever with me. They, he carries them about. Now he is able to carry them about because he meditates. He takes the word and then he, he kind of slots it in to his mind. So he's not like mindlessly reading God's word. He is, he is taking what God, especially what God may bless to his soul, he is taking that and he's like slotting it in. He's like, oh, that's, that's good. That's helpful. And he, he puts it in. And then he, he thinks about it. It's, it's constantly in his mind. So he's able to say, the commandments, they're ever with me. 
They couldn't say that about the tabernacle or the temple, could they? It wasn't ever with them. When they were taken from Jerusalem, taken from Judah into captivity, it was goodbye to the physical place of worship. They couldn't take that with them. And then the emphasis upon the word becomes even more significant. It never, it wasn't, it doesn't become more important. It just gets highlighted because it's all that they have. And they're in captivity. And what do they have? They have the word. They've taken our worship from us. They've taken the day of atonement from us. They've taken the morning and evening sacrifice from us. They've taken the active priesthood from us. They've taken so much from us. But thy commandments are ever with me. They're ever with me. Doesn't matter where I am. They're there. They're in my heart. Wherever they send me, wherever they put me, they're there. They're with me. They can't take it away. He's meditating on the law, constantly thinking on it. And so he says again, verse 99, thy testimonies are my meditation. So gaining a warmth. Imagine, imagine your life without the word of God. Imagine. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was thinking about myself, first of all, what a mess I would be, even more of a mess. And then I was thinking, how, how, do, you, how do you parent without the word of God? I mean, on what authority do you give them the instruction that you give them? It, and you start thinking about purpose and peace and, and joy and all the other benefits that we receive from having and knowing Christ and the promises that are made over to us in him. But we'd be aimless, aimless. Imagine society without the word of God. Imagine your world without the word of God. What do you say to a nation like ours that's spiraling into more and more folly? Part of our comfort and even consolation is there is an answer here. If you'd only actually look at it, there is an answer. There is, there, there is there's objective truth. Let's get back to it. And so you can live and whatever the degree of success we may know in our generation, we serve our generation by what? Bringing them back to the Word. Instructing in the Word. Telling them. Why, why are these things wrong? Why, why is abortion wrong? Why? We come back to what is objective. What doesn't change with the passage of time. And this, this gives us, bolsters us. Otherwise, we're left with no weapon, with nothing to say, with no authority, just thinking, I think this would be a better idea. Well, very good. That's your idea. This is our idea. We're going to go with this idea. <sighs> Imagine how much worse it might be. I, I, I remember one preacher observing, I think it was Reverend Greer. He observed once, about the difference in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning his confrontation with demon possession and things of that nature. And how all of those confrontations, I think he said all, all of 
they, that degree of demonic. Now, it's not like the religious leaders didn't have an influence of the devil upon them. Jesus made that clear. Ye are of your father the devil, John 8. But the, the, the manifestation of demon possession was, was not in and around Jerusalem. It was not in and around Judea. It was in Capernaum and the other surrounding areas. That's where you saw manifestation of, of demon possession. And his, his point was to, to argue the case that though Jerusalem and the religious leaders had fallen greatly, there was still an emphasis on the Bible. It was still, it was more read, it was more known, it was more familiar, people had more of a grasp of it, it, it had more of an influence upon their life. Even if it was surface level, it was there. It was there having this positive, leavening influence on the community. And when you went beyond there, you go to other areas, you begin to see what society begins to look like when you take away the Word of God, when there's less of it, when fewer go to synagogue, when there are less services and worship, and there's little knowledge of, of the Bible, really. There, there's, you begin to get demon possession. And if you were to study the history of foreign missions, you may find something similar. The places where the Bible has taken root, where it is known, where it has a positive influence, though not everything it ought to be, in the community, you will find less, you'll find fewer manifestations of demonic possession. So today, we see little of it. Like, we really don't see, it's there, I believe it's there, and it may be rising too. But comparatively, go to some places where there's nothing of the Bible. And you will find it a frequent experience. So we have been given this gift. And our Lord Jesus, you say, Jesus, I want to love what you love. Then he would say to you, oh, how love I thy law. Won't you love it with me? It is my meditation all the day. That 2024 might be a year where you become a little more, let's say, strategic, diligent, disciplined, of taking the word and driving it home. Letting it get into you more and more. Paul was so encouraged when he went, went to Thessalonica, wasn't he? He went to the city. There was a synagogue there. But, but he was so encouraged because when he preached each Sabbath day and he opened up the scriptures and showed that, that Jesus is the Christ, he accounted in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because, like, I'm constantly thanking God because, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You're feeling its power. You're feeling its power. It's, it's having an impact in your life. And it, be, it began when we went there and you recognized this, this is the word of God. They took it. They read it and studied it and it transformed them. And continue to do so. Turn to Joshua 1. 
Young people, turn to Joshua 1. Make sure you turn here. This is a passage your children, parents, your children need to know. You need to get this. Joshua 1. You boys and young men, you love military stuff. You, you, you like those things, studying war, thinking about what happened, who won, who lost, what was the strategies. You have an interest in those things. Maybe not just the boys, the girls too. My daughters love Redwall, and they always seem to be fighting in Redwall too. But you like, you like battles, battles for what's right. And you're going to face battles. You're going to face battles. You don't get to say what they look like. You don't get to say when they come. You don't get to say how long they continue. You, 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 you're not in control. But you're going to face battles. And Joshua, taking the place of Moses, Moses is gone. He has to stand to the fore and lead the people. And we're told, just reading verse 7 and 8, <clears throat> God's word to this man, he's going to invade lands and cities, states, and, and take over and conquer. And how is he going to do it? Joshua 1, 7, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. In other words, what he's saying to him is, obey. When he's saying be strong, he's not saying go to the gym, right, and see what you can bench press and what you can squat and all that. He's, he's not saying that. He, he's, saying, he's, he's, he's saying, believe me. That's what he's saying. Believe me. Believe me. It will, it will look like courage. When you simply take me at my word, it will look like courage. Remember back the generation, Josh, you remember this? You remember what happened? It happened when, when you and Caleb were sent in to spy out the land? You, you took me at my word. You were ready to go in. The other ten were not strong or very courageous. Why? Because they saw the giants. They saw the walled cities. They saw the hindrances that made them believe it was impossible. But you simply took me at my word. You believed. Just do the same. Take me at my word. Be strong, or sorry, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Right? You've got, you've got this. You've got this in your hand. Right? What Moses has given to you. Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That thou mayest, to pro that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Hang on a minute. Right, so, so, so Moses has given us these, these books, these documents. If I just do what's in the documents, I will prosper? Yes, <laughs> you'll prosper. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Sound familiar? Day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Don't stop reading it. Don't stop meditating upon it. 
Don't stop recalling it and keeping it in mind. Joshua, you're going to have decisions every day. You're going to face challenges. All sorts of things are going to happen. And I am telling you, I am telling you, just be in this book all of the time. You'll prosper. Now, our Lord Jesus is the greater Joshua, isn't he? Think of what he was taking over. It wasn't Jericho. It wasn't a walled city. It was death. The curse. Now, we love, we love the underdog. You read history and you see these, these underdog battles and these nations that are small and tiny and insignificant and, and yet they have some general, someone who stands at the fore, someone who strategizes and realizes, well, you know, what are our strengths versus where they are? You know, do they have weaknesses that, how can we, how, how can we utilize? And, and they look at it, strategy. Well, we know the area. They don't. They, they have no clue. And we're familiar. Let's use the cover of darkness. They have no idea. They have no idea. Let's use darkness. Or there's a valley here. Let's pull them into the valley. There's a river. There's a bridge. They narrow. There can't be more than a handful of them come at a time. So it doesn't matter how many there are, it's going to narrow them in and we can take them on. There's all sorts of strategy like that that you see, not just with, with Joshua and the children of Israel, but you see through the history of, of battles in the world. But you tell me where a man went face to face with the great enemy of man. You tell me where someone says, death, I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to reverse the curse. You will not find it. And the Lord Jesus took on that mission. That was his battle. And what was key to his success? What was key? This book of the law. Don't let it depart. So that when he goes in to the wilderness, 40 days, to be tempted by the devil, what's his response? It is written. Deuteronomy just comes to the mind of our Savior. And Satan came and we can't begin to put ourselves in the position of the hunger and the thirst and the physical weakness and the desperation of his humanity. But in the desperation of his humanity, there was such a meditation upon the word that when Satan came so skillfully harnessing thousands of years of expertise against the Son of God, he failed. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Children, you want to succeed? Get in God's word. Memorize it. Commit it to your life. Secondly, time is rushing on here. Receive the wisdom of it. Not just the warmth, but the wisdom. Verse 98, if you turn to the psalm again. Psalm 98, or Psalm 119, verse 98. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Not, not the enemies, it's the words, the commandments who are ever, that are ever with them. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. So there's an emphasis here. You see the word wiser, verse 
98, understanding verse 99, and understand verse 100. The wisdom. The wisdom. We need, we need wisdom. God's wisdom. God's understanding. I will not turn to it, but I, I encourage you. You want to see what happens when you don't have God's understanding and wisdom? Go and read Proverbs 7. And see what happens to the young man. You young people especially. What happens to you in youth when you don't have God's word and you don't have his understanding? You pass by. There's a form of temptation that comes to you and you don't have the tools to deal with that temptation. Jeremiah no doubt lamented when he told God's word to the people in Jeremiah 4.22. My people, this, this is the covenant people, my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Now, does that, does, that mean, does that mean that everything they did was wicked and evil? Does that mean that they went around just doing awful things to one another? No. No, it didn't mean that. But they were incapable of doing real good. Why? Because they didn't have understanding. Why did they not have understanding? They didn't know God. Why did they not know God? They didn't take God's word and have it rule their heart and life. They thought they could get by without it. The psalmist here uses language that may be accused of, of boasting, that he's boasting. Look at it, verse 98. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients. So you have three categories of people. You have enemies, teachers, and elders. And here he notes what he possesses against when you look at whatever the other type of person is. Enemies. Enemies. He's wiser than them. He's wiser. How is he wiser? Because of the word. Now, now how are you going to face? How are you going to face as you... As you Look at the enemies that are out there. What, who are the enemies, right? So you have unregenerate people who don't know the mind of God but will tell you what they think. You have regenerate people who are ignorant of Scripture who will say to you, sure, it's no big deal. Let's go and do that. You have the devil himself who we are not to be ignorant of his devices. How are we not ignorant of his devices? Because we can't keep going to God and we're going to his word and we say, well, Lord, what do you have to say here? And so the only hope we have against enemies to say nothing concerning ourself, ourselves as enemies. We are, we say it, our own worst enemy. And part of that comes, beloved, because you don't, and we don't, we don't take this word and actually commit it to our minds and hearts. We don't read it. We don't think about it. It is not dominating in our thoughts. So the enemies can have victory over us. Paul said concerning Timothy that from a child that has known holy scriptures, that we're able to make him wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
The Old Testament scriptures is what Timothy possessed as a child. The Old Testament. He didn't even have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament scriptures. And they were able to make him wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It preached of Jesus to him. And his mother and his grandmother, being spiritual women, had a burden. What was their burden for young Timothy? He needs to know the word. He needs to know the word. I'm sure Timothy had some education in numeracy and literacy and sciences and other subjects that may have been of interest at that time. I am sure he had a, a form of education. But the burden of his mother, the burden of his grandmother, the heart of the family, the believing family around him was to give him the word. The scriptures will make him wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So parents, you keep that in mind. You want your children to grow up and say, that's what made the difference. My parents gave me the word. It's not like you, <laughs> it's not like you threatened them. You know, pray this prayer or else. You know, make them little hypocrites. Dependence on a decision that they have, that they've made. No, no. This is where for us, this is where, where, this is where we live out our responsibilities in faith. God wants you to know you can't save. You can't, right? Parents, you get that? Please, let there not be a parent in here who thinks, I can, I can get the children to be saved. I can get them to repeat a prayer after me. I can get them to do this. I can get them to confess Jesus. I can get them to do that. Well, if you can, they'll be a convert to what you present, not God. They'll be your child still, not God's child. And if God's going to make them his child, he's the one that has to bring them. He has to do the work. So what do you do? Make sure that from a child they've known the Holy Scriptures that make them wise unto salvation. That will give them wisdom over their enemies. Won't it? The devil who wants to take them to hell will make them wiser to take Jesus Christ instead. Wisdom over the teachers. Again, you think of the context and what he's dealing with here. Enemies, teachers, ancients. There's certainly, though it's not definitive, there is an argument here for, for Daniel seeing what he experienced. What did he experience? He goes into captivity and they're trying to foist their culture on him. Here's how we want you to live. Here's what we want you to know. We're going to take the cream of the children from this land and we're going to utilize them for our own benefit. But they need to understand the way we think. They need to understand our sciences, our knowledge, our wisdom. And, and they try to push that on them. And here, if you can depict, at the very least, you can see the application, can't you? You can see it, a young Daniel, or someone like him, and he's having these people push their ideas and push their philosophy and drive their worldview into his heart. And he's looking at them and he's able to say that thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients. He has resilience in this foreign place. My parents, we are raising our children in a foreign place, a place that is foreign to God. People don't know God. They're going into places of work where their boss gives no thought of the Sabbath day. No. Never enter his mind. 
And you say, it would be good for you. You know, you're young. You can work seven days a week. Do it now. Get ahead in life. Get ahead. And your little Daniels, by God's grace, they will say, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. Those who teach me in these areas of skill, I know more than them. Because of your word. It's not that the psalmist is mocking the role of teaching. For those who are teachers, it's not that teaching is irrelevant. Far from it. But when you have teachers who don't teach from the perspective of, of God's word, then you want those who have God's word to be wiser. It has been noted in the years where you have the development of schooling in the West. Martin Luther said something to this effect of his fear of schools becoming little places that really just lead children to hell because they leave out the Bible. Well, we're seeing it today. The Word of God gives knowledge that the passing years cannot. The literal surrendering of verse 100, above elders I understand more. So this comes down to the wisdom. Receive the wisdom of the world. Of the word, rather. Then verse, or the third point. Follow the way of it. Follow the way of it. Just quickly go through these verses. These remaining verses, four verses. Verse 101 through 4. You have this encouragement to follow its ways. So in the testimony of the psalmist, I have refrained my feet from every evil way. There are, there are what may be perceived as negative aspects to obedience. There are things, if I can put it this way, we should not do. Things that are wrong. There's a spiritual discipline. It's not just do what's in your heart. Now you can do what's in your heart if your heart is exactly like the heart of the Lord Jesus. Then do what's in your heart. Go ahead. But you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. You do what's in your heart, you'll be anything but like the Lord Jesus Christ. I've refrained my feet from every evil way. The word, as he has meditated upon it, as he has thought about it, it has taken control. And in fact, I wonder at the wording of this. I've refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. It's almost as if he is saying, and this is a little circular, but having been taught the word, now he runs away from anything that may even appear to be wrong. He's being hypersensitive. Why? Because if, if he gives himself to something evil, it will desensitize him, and he won't be able to keep the way. So it's almost like his resistance or his discipline or his, his des desire to say no aids him in hearing the word so he might keep the way. Now, now, 
to some of you who say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Surely we just live according to the word. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But there are those areas, let's call them gray, right? Where you're not sure. You don't know. It's not just crystal clear, at least to you, at least to you. And perhaps part of your problem is ignorance. Not really that, whether <laughs> or not there's really any gray there. It's gray to you. And you're not sure. And it would appear then that what the psalmist here is saying, that I, 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 I will not do it. I refrained my feet. Because if I go in there, it might, it might darken and cloud my vision of God. It might get in the way of my fellowship with God. It might displease my God. I'm not sure. So I'm refraining my feet from anything, anything that may be perceived as evil that I might keep thy way. This is, this is a sanctified, sanctified scruples, right? Where you're going to err on the side of caution when you're not sure. Now this gets mocked today. Ah, oh, you're, you're being a Pharisee. You're... You're going overboard. Really? Now, if he's making it grounds for salvation, then yes, he's a Pharisee. If he's saying, I'm doing this because this will, this will justify me before God, then absolutely, call him a Pharisee. Go ahead. But if he's thinking just simply, I want to please God. I want to please God. I mean, that looks like appealing. I would like to go there. I'd like to see that or whatever. But he's like, no, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this could be wrong. This could be bad. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it might be fine, but I'm not sure whether I will have the strength to walk away. To walk away. I could go to that company and everything might be fine. No one says anything. But, but I'm not sure because I know they're going to be drinking. And I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe things will get out of hand. And maybe will I have the strength to say no? Or, or will speech begin to change and I'll be drawn into it? Maybe. And maybe what you're saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to go that evil way. I don't. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there around Christians. They're exercising their liberty. Right? There they are, New Year's Eve, enjoying themselves. I'm not making an issue of it. I'm there. And then I began to see a change in the speech. Right? We've been there for a couple of hours. And the speech begins to change. And Melanie and I look at one another and say, it's time to go. And off we went. They say, Happy New Year to you. Thank you for the invitation here. We're gone. Do you have the strength? Do you? Because if you don't, refrain your feet. Don't go there in the first place. Might save you the embarrassment. So you see this. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Oh, blessed honor to God. This is where, what have we received that what are we that we have not received? God has taught me. God has taught me. But he has given his book. And he meditates in it day and night. And God teaches him. He comes in his morning and he's thinking about the word. And he's thinking about his day. And he said, God, give me a word. Strengthen me today. Sanctify me through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God has taught him. God has taught him. Oh, there are many of you doing classes. You're doing lots of classes. You're always improving and building on your education. Go ahead. Make sure you've got this education. And there's no point in your life where you're able to put it on the shelf and say, I know everything there is to know. Always amazes me. Go on evangelism. The person says, I've read the Bible. (laughs) You need to read it again. You need to read it again. You don't get away from it. 
Thou hast taught me. And then again, this expression, he wants you to know, he wants you to know just how much it matters. It's not, it's not thou shalt not. Oh no, my life has been oppressed. Oh dear, God has given commandments. How awful are those commandments? No. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Literally, how sweet to my palate hath been thy saying above honey to my mouth. This is it. The world hears, thou shalt not commit adultery and say, ah, archaic, antiquated. And the regenerate go, how sweet. Sweeter than honey. All the other exhortations, all the other things that God says, here, here, here's how I want you to live. You say, yes, yes. <laughs> and you, Psalm 19, verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, the much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So whether it was David who wrote this, certainly the psalmist had the same experience as David. The sweetness of God's word. He finds delight in the word that he can't find in anything else. Honey, honey is, is wonderful. I, I know there's some people who don't like honey, and I just think maybe you just haven't had the right honey. But <laughs> it's like honey is great. I love it. And yet he's saying, the word, the word. It's like that delight upon the palate, the sweetness upon the palate. You just think about oh, the, it's like it's like, the word comes to me even with even more profound delight is that the way you read the Bible it's not always the way I read the Bible I'll tell you that through thy precepts I get understanding therefore I hate every false way there's, there's the prayer of Jesus isn't it we said in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. That was true of Jesus. Jesus hated every false way. And it would be good for us to remember, I better hate every false way in myself before I make effort to change everyone else. As a parent, I hate every false way in me before I hate every false way in my children. Let there be consistency. Judge others with the same judgment that you judge yourselves. Hate every false way in you. And you can patiently and meekly instruct them in the false ways in their life too. So much, so much here. Time is gone. Let us, let us take this as encouragement to just see the precious gift this is and have it transform us. Let's bow together in prayer. Oh, beloved, I am praying and doing what I can in my own private life to elevate the Word of God this year in me. 
I encourage you to do the same. There's so much ignorance. And the only answer is spending time in God's Word. Lord, bless us with this warmth of affection to Thy Word. To be able to say from the depth of our being, Oh, how love I Thy law. We live in a lawless day. Oh God, maybe the world needs to see us truly love. Not just beat them over the head with thy law, but for us to love thy law. Then perhaps they might take more heed to their own ways. Empower us. Put all that is Jesus by the Spirit into us. His love, His dependence, His commitment to work that in us, that we would truly become more like our Lord and walk even so as He walked. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen.